Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Baranowski. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week is, as always, Cleveland attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson, the man to see for all your commercial litigation needs. Well, we've got a lot of quitters to talk about this week. There was, of course, the Kentucky clerk, Kim Davis, who quit the Democrats for the Republican Party. Then there was Scott Walker, who quit the presidential race. And finally, and most shockingly, I think, John Boehner, who quit his job as Speaker, or at least who will be quitting, On Friday, he announced that he would resign as Speaker of the House and leave his congressional seat at the end of October. So what do you think about this, Jay? Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. No kidding. Uh, What an awful job it is. The the immortal immortal song. Um, No, you know, there were were rumblings about, about this about a year ago. And I don't remember if we talked about it, but there was all this sort of, you know, John Boehner's buying a condo in Florida and there's all this, is he going to retire? Um... So, I mean, I think there's there's been a little bit of this vibe that's been out there for a while. And uh, I think you have to agree it's, it's probably sort of a, I don't want to say it's a thankless job because you get to do a lot of cool stuff being being the speaker. Um, but there's big also gavel. a lot of There's a big a gavel involved. I wanted to point that out. A there's large, a, a very large gavel. Yeah, yeah, you get that. I, I don't know whether you get to keep that. Probably not. You probably have to give it, because I think they get to hand it over to the next person. But yeah. still, you know. There's a gavel for a while, but uh, yeah, and he's been in the job for for quite a while. Actually, he took over as speaker in January of 2011, and believe it or not, that makes him the 12th longest serving speaker in history. He's uh-huh. he's right there between the unforgettable Shiler Colfax and the immortal Frederick Gillett. Okay, yeah, well, it's good it's, you well, look these these guys up. That's just the kind of information that people really need to know, <laughs> you know. So. Um, uh, though he, who, who is lo- who is the longest? Tip O'Neill. Uh, the longest was, I believe, um, Mc- no, what that was not McCormick was uh, Sam Rayburn, of course. Okay. And Tip O'Neill okay. was number two. Yeah, McCormick okay. was number three. So I had my top three, but I just didn't have the right order. So. All right. Well, um, I was in the ballpark then. You know, it's interesting because when he was uh, in his last uh, election as speaker, uh, twenty-five Republicans voted against him, which is the largest number of Republicans voting against any speaker from from their party, obviously, in the last century. And you would think then that, well, my gosh, Boehner must be some sort of awful rhino, Republican in name only. Um, right. But when you when you look at his voting records, here's a guy who has a 0%, 0% rating from NARAL, the, the abortion rights group. He gets an A rating from the NRA, a 0% rating on energy issues from this liberal uh, – Campaign for America's Future. He gets a 7% from the ACLU, 100% from the Chamber of Commerce, and a 94% yeah, from the American Conservative Union. I mean, this is a guy who is really pretty clearly a, a, a staunch conservative. And yet, and yet the Tea Party hated this guy. How come? Well, I think, you know, this is something we've talked about for a long time, and, and it's something that, that frustrates me to no end. Um, first of all, I'd, I'd say that the, the highest number voting against him, that could also be just sort of a function of 
the numbers of Republicans that you have. Good point. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the larger your caucus gets, the more the more folks you're going to have who are going to kind of wander off the reservation and, uh, you know, start throwing little things. Um, but, you know, I think it's it comes down to more or less about ideology and more about tactics. And, you know, we had talked earlier about my legislative strategy would be sort of the Woody Hayes three yards in a cloud of dust. Sure. Um, but there are a lot of folks out there who want uh, the the big, uh, you know, everybody go long, throw to the end zone kind of play all the time. Um, and and I, I think if you look at it, it's, it's one of those, uh, uh, sometimes you have success with that, but that's also a high risk play. Uh, and also you, you burn up uh, you know, a lot of your other opportunities. If that's always going to be your play, then they always know what that's, that's, that's coming. And I, I think, you know, within the context of, uh, you know, government shutdown over Planned Parenthood funding. Yeah, I, um, and, and, and no one's, no one's mentioned that, you know, he hasn't mentioned that specifically. But, you know, it's hard not to say that right. that's, that's there. I, I'll, I'll use a I'll use a baseball analogy. Actually, I'm much more of a football fan, but it seems to me that the Tea Party caucus is always swinging for the fences and mostly striking out, which is about exactly. about what you would expect. And and you know it's it's really uh, just kind of shooting themselves in, the, in their own feet. I mean, in terms of actually trying to get any legislative accomplishments. First, it was well, now it's Boehner, but before that, it was Eric Cantor, who in uh, June of last year was ousted in a primary uh, against a Tea Party back guy named Dave Bratt, who's currently in Congress now. So, well, you know, I would, I, I would, I would make a difference, uh, point out a difference between Cantor and, and this in that, uh, first of all, Cantor, that was a direct election that he just lost. And I think a lot can be said about uh, he lost it because he ran a, ran a bad campaign. Right. Um, whereas Boehner, it's, it's, this is the, this is an internal uh, caucus election and and I mean not that there was necessarily uh, that he was he was in trouble um, but he would have to have more fights right and, and, you know and I think you know Kasich was asked this question at uh, the last debate about shutting down the government uh, you know f- to defund Planned Parenthood and I think he got it right uh, in that look uh, you know that's if, if that's that's your goal that's a, that's a great a uh, great uh, conservative goal. Let's defund Planned Parenthood. Um, but is that the best way to do it? And I think Kasich made clear, like, no, it's just not going to work. Uh, it's you're going to lose. I mean, Republicans always lose government shutdown fights. I mean, yeah. that just that is sort of like one of these eternal truths that that we've sort of come to know. And it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> they, they lost it in uh, uh, what was it, 1990 when you had a Republican president. You lost the, the, that fight in, in 94. I mean, or 95, I think it was. Um, where there was a, a sort of brinksmanship over. No, there was a short shutdown in 95. Um, it, you know, and it's just yeah. look, it's just a bad. It's a bad. It's a badly drawn up play. <laughs> this is the best. And I think that the problem, the, one of the main problems that. Uh, Boehner had with his with his far right caucus is that uh, he actually was a guy who was willing to make some deals uh, from time to time, uh, and uh, that 
you mentioned the Planned Parenthood thing, and that, of course, has been the most recent thing. Uh, the Tea Party caucus threatening to shut down the government over defunding Planned Parenthood. And uh, prior to Boehner resigning, it looked like there was a reasonable chance that that might actually happen. There's a, a pretty cool, uh, at least if you're a politics geek, a pretty cool politics site, prediction site called Predictit, uh, predictit.org, which uh, said that Prior to this resignation, they figured there was going to be up to a 50% chance there'd be a shutdown. Now, I checked it this morning, it's like 10%. Uh, and so, because right now, Boehner doesn't have anything to lose, uh, and he can go ahead and put this, can schedule this for a vote, and uh, put, kind of help to push this through with some Democratic votes, which he's had to do on a number of other issues as well, turn to the other party for votes when uh, the far right of his party abandoned him. And not only that, perhaps, but he might use this time to do some other things that uh, the far right, if his party doesn't like, like, for instance, funding the highway bill or renewing the Export-Import Bank or um, even maybe increasing the debt limit. And so, you know, that certainly opens up a, a window for the next month for him to do essentially whatever he wants and just kind of give the middle finger to his to the Tea Party caucus that's caused him so much aggravation really ever since he came into office. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I think we're maybe hitting on something. When you say Tea Party Caucus, I think that's maybe broader because I don't know if these people are all necessarily Tea Party folks. I think they they enjoy some support from that uh, that wing. Um, but I think it's there's more of this sense of um, you can call them like a, a, a do something now caucus, you know. And again, it, it's the um, hey, we've we've got the majority. So we have to act. We have to move right now. And and I'm, I, I I agree with that. That you know, if you have the majority, you ought to use it. But there still has to be a recognition of the institutional limitations that you've got. Yeah, except yeah, that's a good point because they have the majority, but there's an important distinction to make between a majority and a working majority. And what they don't have is, at least in terms of the legislative process, they don't have a working majority because they don't have the votes to get things through the Senate. You either don't have the Senate or you don't have the president. Exactly. So and if unless you get one you have, or the other, that would be fine. Yeah. If you have all three of those things, you can do big stuff like Obamacare and Dodd-Frank and other stuff. But if you don't have that, you can't really do it. All you can do is, like you said, three yards in a cloud of dust. That's the best yeah. you're going to get. Which, again, and, and, and this is what troubles me with, with a lot of these um, – you know, true believers, and I think I think as you see this reflected in the the Trump campaign too. It's the you know, I'm gonna and and yeah, you saw it reflected in say like Mussolini's campaign. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm gonna get results. I'm gonna do something now. I'm gonna, I'm I'm sick of you know nothing happening. I want stuff to happen now. Um, and, and the stuff I would say between your your run of the mill uh, Main Street Republicans and your or if you want to call them Tea Partiers. I think the stuff that they want to want to get, I don't think there's that big a difference. Um, now, again, you can, you know, stuff like the X X M M Bank. I mean, that kind of thing, and um, uh, those those are maybe some funny issues. But th- those are those are so esoteric. Um, well, definitely. That, you know, it, you know, again, the Chamber of Commerce people like it because hey, it's. I mean, again, you're, you're, we're, we're back to, you know, Hamilton and Jefferson's, you know, in, in some respect on, on those kind but of questions. You say they're esoteric, but those are the sort of boring but important issues that affect, you know, 
a lot of people and it make right. a big difference for me billions of dollars and so just because they're boring obviously you know they, they don't get the they don't get the sort of coverage but these things really right. matter. i mean something like a defund planned parenthood though is, again is is so visceral and so yeah exactly uh, again it's, it's plain and easy to understand yeah. um uh, so that that is what the magnet that draws the do something now um you know type thing yeah okay so. well uh Let's move again, on. Not, oh, I, I want to make sure I, you know I'm, I'm not misunderstood as saying like that that you ought to do nothing. I'm just saying, um, just the the long the 50 yard pass for the end zone uh, just just isn't going to work. And, and again, it, it's like fun for the fans. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. Um, but but you know after the fans see that play so many times and it, it doesn't work, they are going to get tired of it. You'd, you'd like to think, yeah, certainly. Okay, well let's move on to our second quitter. Of the week, and that's a Scott Walker who on Monday announced that he was pulling out of the Republican presidential race and uh, suggested that uh, other people perhaps pull out and unite against. Uh, uh, well, he didn't actually name Donald Trump, but pretty clearly Donald Trump was the target of that. So, were you surprised at Walker's uh, pulling out of the race, Jay? Not really. I, I mean, I, I maybe would have expected him to, to hang in there a little bit longer, but. Uh, you know, I think there. We've talked about this a couple times. There's sort of these different niches that that each candidate would fill, and one is sort of the uh, midwestern type reform governor niche. And Scott Walker, it was, it was him, and there was John Kasich. Uh, I maybe you could put Chris Christie into that category, even though he's not a midwesterner. Um, uh, but but there's just only so many people of that that flavor, I guess that that would would rise rise to the top there um and uh yeah he was i don't think he had a, a good performance in uh, either one of the debates um uh and, and I'm, this is coming from someone who i would i would have considered myself sort of a a scott walker fan really early on um yeah, he and he started off uh, obviously as one of the one of the real favorites. The Cook brothers uh, announced yeah. some support for him. He was at the top of many of the polls, uh, and uh, some people suggested it was a case of uh, a case of hubris that he he and his campaign spent a lot of money early on, assuming everything would go well. They forgot that he just had essentially zero charisma. Not only that, but he made a number of gaffes, saying things like, "Well, I took on the union, so I can take on the Islamic State." Because you know they're essentially the same thing, and uh, but, you know one one thing that's really interesting to me about this is uh, Scott Walker had and still has a a very vibrant super super PAC with right. millions of dollars. But one of the problems he ran into is while super PACs uh, are can take in unlimited contributions, spend millions of dollars on campaigns and so far on advertising, what they can't do is they can't pay your campaign staff. And that was the problem is the super PAC was fine, but the direct donations, which people can only give up to $2,700, that wasn't coming in. And so the campaign was broke and Walker realized that if he didn't win the nomination, he was going to have such a huge campaign debt that it would take him years to pay that thing off. And I think he saw the writing on the wall. I mean, the guy's only 47 years old and he thought, I'm going to have you know, potentially another run exactly. at this yeah. and this is not the time, but, uh, uh, yeah, I think, I think he, he may be back. I don't know, but, uh, that, that charisma deficit, clearly a problem, especially when you put him up against someone like a Donald Trump. Well, you know, and I think the charisma 
issue. There's there's something different that happens between the state stage and the national stage. And I I said this last week about Kasich. I mean, right. I've, I've seen him personally. I don't I don't know how many more times that I could count. And on uh, you know in, in in local interviews and so forth. And and you really again he's he's really an inspiring figure. And you're ready to go out and and uh, take to the barricades. But when I've seen him in, in on the debates and on other national uh, shows, it doesn't it doesn't come through. I, I don't I don't know exactly how that works or how to explain that or uh, all that. But the same thing with with uh, Walker. Again, he must have had a strong amount of charisma, uh, been able to to do well to do what he did in Wisconsin. Obviously, I wasn't watching all the local Wisconsin news as as all this stuff went on. Um, uh, but you know he he's I think has been described by the Wall Street Journal as the the most elected Republican governor. Yeah. Well, you know, last, th- you know, five years. I think that's a really good point, and that uh, making the jump to the national stage is not an easy thing. Running a national campaign is a incredibly hard thing to do, and and many very smart people flail at it, especially their first time. One of the problems I think is what tends to happen is since super PACs can't coordinate can't technically coordinate with the candidate's own campaign, what candidates tend to do is they take their best people, they put them in charge of the super PACs, and then they put up what's presumably a wall between them. So, for instance, the guy who managed Walker's 2010 and 2012 recall elections and the guy who did his 2014 re-election, he put both of those guys in charge of his super PAC. And that meant from that point on, he couldn't have any direct contact, couldn't get their advice from his you know, most trusted folks. And so he had other folks running his campaign, and I think that could have played a role. That's, that's, a, that's an outstanding uh, point there, Professor. I yeah. got to tell you. Every I'm, once uh, in a while, I'd like to think that, that, that no, political that is, science. That's, uh, that's an insight that I, it's something I hadn't considered. But, yeah, if you have your B team who's actually running the campaign. Um, and, uh, yeah, we could talk you know, quite a while about super PACs and, and what they're good for and what they're not good for. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would agree that I, I don't know the specifics so much as, as you do, but um, that that seems to be you know pretty plausible. So. Yeah, it, it helps to have good people advising you. That's something we we definitely know for sure. So, okay, well, how about moving on to uh, move on to some foreign policy stuff? Uh, some uh, surprising announcements, actually. Oh, I I was sort of surprised. Uh, the uh, president of China, uh, Xi Jinping. China. Yeah, China. I can't say it like Donald Trump does. Yeah, Donald Trump does say it better. But uh, on Friday, uh, President Xi Jinping uh, announced that China would be implementing, of all things, a cap-and-trade program that's going to put a price on greenhouse gases in China starting in 2017. And, of course, this is a big deal because China is the world's largest polluter. We used to be, but now we're just number two. Um, and uh, I've been told that on certain I'm, days, I'm, I'm, uh, Donald Trump is, is going to change that. We're well, winners. We're going to be that's right. One. <laughs> How embarrassing! Yeah. I, I, now China, of course, is famous or infamous for its just horrifically bad air quality in some of the major cities. Some of the pictures I've seen are just are just awful. And uh, even though China is not a democracy, when people can start, you know, cutting the air with a knife, that tends to cause some problems. Uh, so. Uh, what I found interesting about this is what uh, what China is presumably going to implement is exactly the sort of program that years ago Republicans were calling for in the United States. 
Uh, and up the, exactly the same sort of program that President Obama tried to push through, this cap-and-trade thing, that, uh, that Republicans rejected because the main reason they cited was, well, if China doesn't do it, there's no point in us doing it. So I think it's going to be interesting to, to gauge the reactions now on the right to, to this announcement. What do you think? Uh, you know, my, my first thing would be to say, if the Chinese want to do that and, and improve their air quality, I, I think that's, that would be spectacular. Um, I think one of the things that, that you've seen, and this is, this is a big argument that we have often, uh, is if you want a better environment, a lot of times what you need is essentially more development, more advanced economy. Because the, the more uh, your economy develops, the, the uh, wealthier your citizens become, the more they demand uh, things like clean air, clean water. And also, the, the, the more money you have to, to deal with those issues, to get that. Um, now, the now, now, the flip side of that, though, is – and that's a good point. But the flip side of that is, of course, the more you develop, the more you have a demand for electricity and other stuff and the more you pollute. I mean we've seen this with, with China. And just before we go on on this, I just realized that some folks might not know what cap and trade means. It's kind of throwing that term around. Uh, let me, let me explain. Well, let me just briefly explain. Just, uh, just humor me. But it's essentially a system where uh, the central government places a cap on the amount of carbon pollution that can be emitted in, in any given period. And then what companies do is they can buy and sell these permits to, to pollute. And uh, so it's essentially a market-based type system, which is why this came out of uh, conservative economists who didn't like the idea of a strong sort of command and control approach that liberals tended to favor back in the day. Well, I, I would I think that's an adequate uh, description. I would I would uh, quibble with your your use of the word pollute. Um, uh, that sort of giving away the carcinogenic game stuff into the atmosphere. I don't know what else no, you'd say. No, we're, you know? no, we're talking about uh, carbon dioxide, uh, which is the same thing that uh, plants emit and everybody emits, emits, and it is the uh, natural process of um, oxidation. So, was it oxidation or my goofing? And let's put this natural pro- uh, byproduct of, of burning stuff of, of carbon reactions. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just quibbling with the saying that. Uh, carbon dioxide is is pollution. It is it is uh, well, emission, the stuff, but it's the, not the stuff that's coming out. The stuff that's coming out of these uh, of these coal fired plants is. Uh, I, I think it's hard to say that that's not uh, pollution. But okay, I'm not gonna. I, I won't get. I won't get sucked down that side argument with you. So, all right. So um, you know, my my other big concern would be. Uh, China will will say, okay, we're going to impose these these caps, and and now here we go. Now U.S. you do the same. It's sort of a trust but verify situation. Sure. Uh, and you know we've we've had issues with other countries on these sort of things being less than trustworthy, uh, and China especially on environmental issues. Uh, I, I I don't. I, I'm not sure what we we'd do to uh, make sure they're telling us the 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 whole story that they're actually. Um, implementing these cap and trade uh, programs, um, and the other thing about well, cap you know, and trade, before, before you go mm-hmm. on, I think that would actually be maybe not that tough to check because checking air quality is a pretty simple thing. We have a 
we have an embassy, you know, we certainly can uh, put up our own monitors and uh, this would not be a tricky thing to do. If they say the air is getting, getting cleaner, we can, we can pretty easily check that just like they could pretty easily check us. So I'm not too concerned about well, verification no, on no, this. No, no. But you're, ta- you're talking about an entire country that is a huge, uh, as Trump would say, huge country. Um, and, and also keep in mind, cap and trade doesn't necessarily cut down pollution. It just makes pollution more expensive. See, you guys even got me saying it. Uh, it doesn't cut down carbon emissions. It, it just makes them more uh, expensive. Um, well, it depends on how the system – you're right. It, it can. It depends on how the system's set up. But if there's an overall cap and that cap goes down every year or every set period of time, then it should have that effect. Ideally. And again, in a, in a market economy, you would expect that it would. Uh, I don't know that the same holds true in, uh, in China. Um, and again, that's assuming that, uh, and, and whether the, the, the air um, quality may be testable, uh, inspectable, I'm not sure that the, the Chinese economic records would be that transparent. Yeah, you know, I, I think we've that. We've got a cap and trade, and okay, well, yes, well, this guy, this guy, because uh, the, the Xiaobang Ching, whatever factory, uh, they're okay with uh, putting this much emissions in the air because. Uh, they have, you know, essentially bought the the carbon tax, uh, bought that, bought that privilege. Um, I, I don't think we're going to see any kind of reliable numbers, and and I, I that's just that's just my concern. If China wants to do this unilaterally, I think that's great, uh, and we should wait and see. Right. Yeah. Wait and see for God knows how long. Anyway, okay. I won't get into this. We have a lot of other stuff to talk about. But speaking of difficulty with verification, something that's going to be even more difficult to verify is another thing that came out of that meeting is that both China and the United States, or at least President Obama, pledged that uh, they would refrain from computer-enabled theft, cybercrime of intellectual property for commercial gain. Yeah. Uh, that is a That is a... Great start, I guess. As one one commentator pointed out, this is the first time that China actually publicly, officially agreed that stealing intellectual property for commercial gain is something they shouldn't do. Right now, that's a pretty low bar uh, to, to you know to get over the. Uh, and, and of course, that many of China's state-owned companies have just done tremendously well, had reaped incredible benefits from doing this. Uh, one former NSA head said that, in his view, it's this is the greatest transfer of wealth in human history. That uh, the, the you know the cyber the cyber crimes from China they're they're notorious for this. And well, that's, uh, that's not even taking into account the the hacks of the uh, government employee information, right? The OPM thing, uh, like which the, is which could really be be pretty significant um, from a national security perspective. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and uh, it, you know, I mean, I'm we're not sitting in in the negotiations uh, and the talks and so forth. I guess they're not really negotiations, um, but. But man, uh, you know, shouldn't at some point we take a stronger stance saying, uh, "China, get the hell out of our computer systems." Well, I think, and we're talking about and, two and different they, issues. They, here. they will say, "No, no, no, it's not us, not us, not us." And we can say, "Great, good to hear. Uh, you better turn over whoever's doing it." <laughs> right. Know? And, and now um, we're talking about two slightly different issues here. I think one is that is cyber theft, cyber crime, and that's the issue that they. 
they claim China claims that they're going to you know work on and so forth. Right. And they're still okay uh, with the yeah. cyber espionage. Yeah, and, that, that, and saying we don't do we don't do nearly as much cyber theft because we don't have to. We um, need to. Yeah. We have the stuff that people want to steal for the most part. But now in the espionage, both sides are a little leery of that because as as we found over the last found out over the last few years uh, thanks to Snowden and other folks that we do plenty of cyber espionage as does China and I don't think that that's going to change uh, at any time soon no matter what kind of formal agreements we could reach if we can even reach any no certainly we we do it and have done it although it's a different a different type i would i would expect uh you know the, we do the good kind they do the bad kind exactly that's exactly what no i mean ours is more more the eavesdropping uh type type as opposed to the hacking into systems not that well, I, I would well I would unless hope, it's I say this, i would i would hope we do both unless it's say like uh, iran and we get into their nuclear systems and and hack their computers so they you know they can't spin up their centrifuges that sort of and, thing. And, so. and God, I hope that was us, yeah, or that was the us. Israelis, or whoever, it is, whoever, whether it was us and the Israelis. Either way, the point um, is, is we're the good guys. We use our powers only for you know for legitimate and good ends. Whereas China is, you know, they're evil commies, and we they can't be trusted. But we can. Well, you're correct on on uh, <laughs> on the former. Um, but oh, no, I mean, let's put it this way: just just because we do it too. Uh, it doesn't mean that we we shouldn't uh, condemn it in uh, in China. Sure. I mean, I, I think I think you know, I think that's um, spying is one know, of those things that it's understood that everyone does it. But if you get caught, then you condemn it. Essentially, I mean, that's yes, that's how yes. it's been since the beginning of statecraft. That's just you know yes. the way it goes. So I don't and, think anyone's uh, so think, naive think, to think. Know, I'm I'm just we're not at least at least condemning it. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's, there's a, a bigger plan and operation here, and we're going to, you know, again, find a better, just better security, I suppose, is the, the best answer to it. But, um, yeah, I was, I was a little disappointed by that, where, uh, you know, you had this, what was really sort of a, a national security uh, breach, and, um, you know, we're just going to kind of let it slide. Yeah, no, we can't really let those things slide, I don't think so. So, hey, um, I wanted to also talk about, uh, well, it's not really an a international story. I guess it is in a way. Uh, it's a it's an EPA story. Who doesn't like a good EPA story? Uh, and that uh, That's, of course, on Tuesday, uh, Volkswagen uh, announced under pressure that uh, some 11 million of its diesel cars were equipped with software that could be used to cheat, and in fact was used to cheat, on emissions tests. And they only did this after uh, pressure from the EPA, which which uh, found out that, well, which threatened to withhold its approval for their 2016 models, and that could have cost them a lot, a lot of money. And they could have potentially paid a lot in fines uh, from what I understand that they were liable for up to 18 billion dollars in fines depending on how things played out so this is a pretty big deal wait you're, you're telling me a, a foreign company uh, gave us improper uh, emissions numbers shocking well they didn't give it well, they didn't give this them is, to isn't us. this what we were talking about just a minute ago about why I don't trust the Chinese on cap and trade but um, no, I look. I I think they did it. It's it's sort of, sort of general sneaky uh, corporate crime stuff. And from everything I understand, they 
they didn't even do it very well. That you know this was this wasn't that hard to detect. And that uh, that's the thing. That to me is the story. The story is that uh, we that, you know there there is emissions testing at least in in, in many states. And uh, the the problem is is the emissions testing is not real world type emissions testing. It's uh, in a, uh, in a sort of treadmill type. Yeah, exactly. Thing. And so uh, this wouldn't even have come to the attention of the EPA if uh, some this uh, non government group, environmental group called the Council on Clean Transportation, they were just doing some tests. They were a group of people, former EPA officials, and they decided to test the real world performance of these supposedly clean diesel vehicles, and they they noticed this discrepancy. They contacted the California Air Resources Board, and they looked into it, and all of a sudden then it became a thing, went up to the EPA. But this is the kind of thing that people on the left talk about when they say, this is what happens when you cut back so much and you don't focus enough on follow-through, on enforcement, on checking of these laws that we have in place. And, you know, this easily could have slipped right by. And this is, you know, this is a pretty significant thing. These cars were pumping out something like 30 to 40 times more nitrogen oxide than the standard. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't a small amount. And so this is the kind of thing where people say, see, this is why cutting budgets in state regulatory agencies is uh, ultimately uh, down the road can really cost us a lot more than it saves us can be really penny wise and pound foolish. Well, I, you know, I, I differ with you on the, that it's because of the, you know, let's put it this way. Anytime uh, Washington screws up, and I'm not saying necessarily they screwed up, this time they were sort of actively deceived, but uh, anytime that happens, uh, the first thing is uh, we need uh, we need more money. Uh, you know, we, we had to get, it's, it's because our budget's too low. Um, for people who work in the private sector, you know, when, when your division screws up, that's the absolutely last thing you say is it's, it's because we need more money. Um, <laughs> and, and I guess that's just sort of a fundamental difference. Um, look, I mean, I think they could, they could maybe just be spending their money differently, doing something uh, uh, differently. As so, so often the point of uh, government organizations isn't to even do what they say they're going to do. It's just to say it, uh, you know, so you come out and say, Hey, uh, we've, decreased uh, emissions by X amount and uh, good enough. That's, that's all you need. I mean, who needs to bother to check? Um, See, I, yeah, I, I would differ, differ and, with and you on as, this. As you, as you point out though, as you point out, the, the, the people who discovered this uh, did so again, without spending, there wasn't some huge big uh, uh, expenditure that was needed to catch this. It is more an issue of just lack of management, lack of oversight, as opposed to I need more money. Well, I think that certainly really clearly illustrates the kind of a fundamental worldview difference. I mean, I look at this and I see agencies whose budgets have been slashed year after year after year, who essentially they're underperforming because they're like a football team with uh, seven players playing against a team with 11. And so there's no way they can possibly do all this. And you see it as a case of, well, the, you know, the coaching, the management isn't as good as it should be. So I think that's illustrates a fundamental difference. This, this group that, uh, that discovered the discrepancy, what do you think their budget is? Oh, their budget can't be that great at all. But I think it's that gotta be, it's got to be it's got to be pennies on the dollar compared to the EPA. Same thing with the California Air Air folks. Now oh, they're sure, probably right. better funded, 
Uh, well, so, uh, you know, again, to say we keep cutting, my, my, my point is that the, the answer is not always to spend more money. I can agree I with that. Could, it's you, not you always spend, to spend you more could money. Spend plenty of money, and and still, this would not be the. Uh, You're right. Uh, that would not be the solution. No, so. I, I, I can agree with you there. Certainly, I think though there there are two things that are important. Obviously, having sufficient resources in the first place, and being able to manage those resources effectively. So, so yeah, I don't know, maybe yeah, we don't I think disagree. We can, we can agree on that. Yes. Okay. Well, you know, we we can't really uh, – I know there's a lot going on this week, but we can't really stop without talking about the Pope, can we? Yes. Uh, the Pope? Yeah. He was here, not here as in Cincinnati or Cleveland or even Ohio, but he was here in this country, Pope Francis, the leader of, I don't know, one-plus billion Roman Catholics, and he addressed a joint session of Congress on Thursday, and uh, apparently well, that's, he well, That's is, one of the reasons that Boehner said he's, he said he's you know, leaving, too. It was like, look, it brought the Pope. I'm going yeah, to leave on a high note. On a high note, yeah. yeah and, and the Pope, I guess when he talked to Congress, he, uh, uh, he, I don't think the Pope's a big Donald Trump fan because the Pope seems to be a big immigration fan. That was the big thing he talked about in this joint session of Congress. Also, the day before, he made a lot of remarks about uh, climate change. He seems to be a big fan of uh, President Obama's, uh, at least more so than Republicans in, in Congress when it comes to climate change. So yeah, what, no, I don't, I'll tell you where I, where I am on on this whole Pope thing. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm not a Catholic, so I I don't have any sort of uh, you know dog in in that fight. Um, but I would describe myself as a Christian, and I think what the Pope is doing and a lot of what what he does and says uh, is is a really refreshing from a Christian perspective. Uh, he's reaching out to the poor. He's reaching out to the those who are hurting, uh, uh, you know, the, I, I think that's that's what a pope ought to do. Um, Absolutely. Uh, now, when he when he starts delving into political questions, and I'm also get it that that when you're pope, it's not simply a religious uh, position. There's sort of a political dimension that has to come with it. Um, you know, I just think he's a little out of his depth sometimes, and I think it's. It's it's informed by uh, what his his uh, his background was coming out of South America, uh, much as uh, John Paul II's um, uh, you know ministry and his his political positions sure. were informed by where he was coming out of a communist controlled Poland, um, you know and and again it's it's maybe a little also a little easy for the Pope to say I'm for immigration I'm for loving people and so forth. Um, but that's not really a policy solution. Right. You know, no, it's and, like, okay, you know, okay, then your holiness, you know, you, you want to draft a bill for us? Yeah. Well, I think, <laughs> I mean, I think sort of, to, to me, you, you what's You can't real, draft a legislation just says love everyone. No. I mean, that's, that's. Probably don't want to try to legislate that. You know what, to me, what's really interesting about this whole Pope thing, I kind of like that phrase, uh, is that so many liberals seem to see him as a kindred spirit, and yet on so many issues, they absolutely would hate his positions, you know? So conservatives can point to the sanctity of life stuff, the, you know, the, yeah. the, uh, the same-sex marriage thing. That's, and it's not like, okay, it's not like the Pope is saying, this Pope is saying, well, you know, gay marriages, if you get that, you're going straight to, you know, that, that, that's, right. you know, so he's, he's not for it. But you're not going to see him performing it. No, exactly. That's my soon. point. Yeah, there's not going to be like a, he's not going to be wearing a rainbow hat or anything like that anytime soon. So 
it's both conservatives and liberals can kind of take something away from this pope, although pretty clearly a lot of American Catholics, more conservative ones, do not like this pope. And that's sort of, like you said, South American liberation theology, sort of do stuff, give money to the poor. That's not really, that hasn't gone over very well. Right. And maybe, you know, look, I, I don't, I, like I said, I, I, I like him. There was a wonderful piece in The, the Onion um, about uh, Pope changes his stand on capitalism after seeing, you know, a variety of Oreos. And oh, yeah, that was a great story. Yeah. And but I think there's maybe a little bit of a grain of truth in that, uh, in that, um, you know, coming from where he does uh, his experience of, of sort of the crony capitalism of South America, the military sort of, you know, crony capitalism, um, he's coming with a different experience. And as he sees more, uh, I'm, I'm hoping he might take a take a wider view, broader view uh, that, you know, are there excesses in capitalism? Does, is, is greed good or bad? And, and sure you can argue that it's easier for a say more than you can to, argue that, but okay, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I'd say it's, it's, uh, you know, easier for a, a candle to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven and so forth. Um, but at the same time, I, I think he's, you have to acknowledge that free market capitalism has lifted millions out of poverty. Sure, absolutely. And it's given us the advances, the medical advances, the cure diseases, the you know all, all the things that 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 make our, our, our world uh, great in terms of, of technology. Uh, uh, sure, you know, an opportunity. And I, I think it's again, he's he's only seen one side, and um, I, I'm, you know, I'm not I'm not going to tell the Pope what to do, but. No, no, <laughs> probably, have probably to, not. But to yeah. take that and, and say his his views are informed by that, at least yeah, his political definitely. views. Hey, you know, before before we go today, we are running a little long, but uh, wanted to mention that getting a couple of things. For one, I, I mentioned that the at the at the top of the show, our third quitter, Kentucky clerk uh, Kim Davis, who finally bowed to the inevitable and I guess realized she was getting no love from. Her Democratic Party and uh, announced that she was becoming a Republican. So, hey, Jay, you guys can have her. Well, great, great. Well, welcome, Kim. Um, <laughs> um, I think that's one of the, um, you know, and I guess I guess I suppose we could thank Mike, Mike Huckabee for that. Um, yeah, Mike was a big uh, fan of Mike. hers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I would say. I, I'd say I'd said this before. There's there's nothing particularly Republican in uh, about just refusing to do your job. No, um, you that's know, just I, wrong. I, pardon? That's just wrong. Got to do your yeah, job. Yeah, no, and I, I I I would say most most Republicans and most Republican candidates, with the exception of probably Mike Huckabee, have said, uh, "Look, do your job or, or or don't." I mean, if if you can't, if you feel as a matter of conscience, you can't. Uh, issues these these licenses on behalf of the state, then uh, uh, maybe clerking's not for you. Um, there you go. Uh, but uh, you know you can't. But have you know there's ways. that yeah there's that eighty grand salary or something like that. So clerking's a pretty lucrative thing. I, I guess so. Well, I mean, at that point, yeah, you gotta you gotta make the decision if uh, if you can live with uh, that or not. Um, although it is you know and I, you you brought up something that's that's sort of interesting in that uh, there are plenty of people, uh, particularly those online, who would condemn Kim Davis as being a horrible, terrible, awful person. Um, 
because of her position on same-sex marriage. But at the same time, uh, Pope Francis, who presumably holds the same position on, on same-sex marriage, uh, is is not. And right. I just I just think that's it's worth appreciating the irony in hmm. that a little bit. Interesting point. Um, and uh, you know what what would uh, what would Pope Francis say to Kim Davis? I think that would be an interesting. We should get those two together. Yeah, that would be. Well, it really should. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm surprised you was, she wasn't on his agenda. Uh, <laughs> I'm yep. over here to begin with, but definitely. Well, um, you, before before we go, um, I I heard somewhere that it's always good to end a uh, end a show with a monkey story, and I understand you have a monkey story for us this week. Well, yes, the um, uh, PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, has sued on behalf of a uh, monkey who took a selfie of himself, uh, apparently. And again, the, the, the monkey picture has been viral for a while. It's a good uh, picture, it's, yeah. It's it a, is. It's, it's a funny, goofy we, monkey picture. Smiling. We should say the monkey. We should we should call this monkey by his name, I think. PETA would appreciate that. Not a monkey, but Naruto. Okay, and I'm I'm not sure who named him exactly, um, but uh, <laughs> I guess I guess if that's his Mr. name, we'll probably Mister Naruto. Mr. If we want to, you know, be uh, yeah, be, uh, don't want to be diminutive. Uh, but no, Peta has argued that the uh, monkey selfie is essentially the monkey's intellectual property, uh, and that the, you know the populace at large has taken advantage of him by circulating this picture, uh, which he. Had he, I guess, been been maybe a little quicker on the uptake, uh, would have copyrighted. Yeah, kind of, kind of. I'm I'm no attorney, Jay, but does this run kind of smack into the the problem of you can't have intellectual property rights if you're not a human being? Right. That's that's been the traditional yeah, position of the law. Yeah, that's my understanding <laughs> of it. Um, so. So to say this is a, a long shot is is uh, probably understating it. Um, you know, PETA does these things, I think, partially just be just the goofier the better, just because it gets some publicity and you get enough goofy people See, who will send you money. This drives me nuts because for maybe, you know, you mentioned earlier that some things the Tea Party does drive, drive you nuts. Well, I think PETA does some important stuff. They do some good work to publicize awful treatment of animals in certain conditions, but then they just do just ridiculous things like that that – play right into their their image as, you know, wackadoodles who no one should take seriously. And I just, oh, that just, it just annoys me anyway. Um, but no, but it, it plays to the base. Um, and I suppose there are plenty of people out there who, who maybe you're thinking, yes, this is the monkey's intellectual property. Um, I'm not sure how you go about compensating him for it, uh, but uh, there's a banana joke in there that I won't make. Yeah, or 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 like how he would he would go about with without PETA. I mean, enforcing this on his own, and you could also say, well, maybe the monkey has just chosen to make this part of the public domain, so it's not really his intellectual property. But I would think, yeah, monkeys would be good good about that. I think. Maybe and I'm, I'm not sure again if if it goes to trial whether the monkey will be called or Mister Naruto. Um, well, but, they'd uh, have, I think you know they'd have to get someone to teach him uh, teach him American Sign Language so they could have right. you know and then have an, yeah, I could see this playing out. This would be a yeah a great thing. It could be a reality show of some sort. Maybe Donald Trump can uh, get involved in some way. Well, and, know, but, and also having you know grown up on a lot of you know like Planet of the Apes movies, I can tell you this is 
this is how the trouble starts. Yeah, you so. know, I think you got a good point there. Yeah, we we're gonna watch this. I think uh, it, this bears watching. I'd say, but yep. but anyway, um, that's uh, all the time we have for this week's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, we would love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail dot com. That's politicsguys one word at gmail dot com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could just take a minute or so to rate the show and write a quick review. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.